Plaquemines Parish sits along the Mississippi River south of New Orleans. Climate reporter Brady Dennis traveled there in early October to learn about a public health emergency that's been affecting this community for months. So what are we looking at here? Yeah, this is our water heater for the building, commercial water heater. In this rural part of Louisiana, the water has been full of salt. You see the water, look at it. Yeah, that's straight salt water. So what exactly was that sound? Byron Marinovich is um, a restaurant owner I met down in Plaquemines Parish. Feel the salt coming out? Chunks of salt? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's salt. That's salt. So Byron was draining this um, water heater into a bucket. He had me feel the flow as it came out, and it felt like little pebbles hitting your hand, you know? Wow. You can feel them. It's like little pebbles of salt. That's exactly what it is. He held up. So that, think white pieces of, of what he said was salt. And some of these were, you know, the size of a fingernail. Some were smaller, but they were uh, abundant. <laughs> For the second year in a row, the region has been suffering from a prolonged drought. And for months now, salt water from the Gulf of Mexico has been flowing backwards, up the river, in the shape of a wedge. Salt water is heavier than fresh water. And so this salt water, the leading edge of it, travels along the bottom of the Mississippi River underneath the fresher water. And so you can think of it as like the tip of a spear, you know, where, where the salt water has reached. It may just be a little bit of salt water, but coming behind it is a large amount of salt water that can really change the makeup of the river. And so that's why they call it the wedge. And people there will say, well, where is the wedge today? Or where was the wedge last week? And so that's... Uh, a common way that it's known. In late September, President Biden declared an emergency for the area because this saltwater intrusion was threatening the drinking water of about a million people in and around New Orleans. So you can see why it sort of set off a, a panic, at least among the people who are in charge in these places. They knew how widespread the risks are and could be for a lot of people. So that's why Brady went to Plaquemines Parish, to talk to people already living with the saltwater wedge. I wanted to understand what that was like and how that left the people there feeling and what lessons it might hold for people further up the river. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Tuesday, October 17th. I'm your guest host, Lillian Cunningham. Today, what it's like to live with water too salty to drink, and what officials are doing to prevent this catastrophe from moving further up the river. What do we know about why this is happening now? So, there are a lot of reasons that contribute to this happening. The saltwater intrusion up the Mississippi is, is not unheard of. It has happened before. It will happen again. Um, but I think there's a real fear that it's becoming more common and that it's going to keep happening in a more dramatic way. You know, multiple scientists have told me that, like, you can't ignore 
um, the impact of climate change. There have always been and probably always will be drought and heat waves along the Mississippi River Basin, but certainly climate change is um, making severe drought and severe heat waves more likely. And so over time, we can expect this situation to happen, if not every year, of course, then more often than it did in the past. And so I think that realization is setting in along the river. The bottom of the Mississippi River is also already below sea level for many miles. And the dredging of the river over time, and it has been dredged often to allow for larger ships to pass through, um, that has made it only easier for salt water to creep upriver. I mean, the Mississippi River is basically like a like an I-95 of commerce for, for the country. You know, it, there's a huge amount of commercial activity that gets moved up and down the river. And so there's this constant tension of allowing that to go forward in the biggest way possible. But also it has these consequences. So have y'all all lived here forever? Forever. Mm-hmm. Whole life. So tell me a bit more about the people you met there, you know, how their, how their lives were being affected by this saltwater wedge. I've talked to restaurant owners and farmers and uh, local officials, a lot of people in Plaquemines. A couple that stand out in particular were this mother and daughter who I met. Actually, how old is everybody? So I'm 24. 49. Oh, my God, you're going to be 50 next year? That's young. Oh, my God, yeah. Bobby Turner is the mother. She's 49, and and her daughter, Katie Maserak, 24. And and we sat one afternoon and talked in the lobby of the hotel where they work, uh, both about their frustrations with the situation, but also, you know, how they're dealing with it in different ways. We always got to order gallon waters now because we got to make the coffee for the guests because if not, it's salty. According to Bobby and Katie, there are daily headaches associated with with keeping that business running. Usually we have ice, they have the ice machines outside to where, you know, they can get the little ice buckets and put, fill up their ice buckets. We can't do that anymore. So we have to buy ice from Chili Willy and we have to bust the bags open to provide ice that way. Okay. A lot of bags. They have to make sure that their guests have bottled water, they have to check and make sure that the washing machines um, and other appliances aren't corroding. They have to warn their guests that their showers may be salty. And like, we'll have customers that say, oh, you know, oh, I'm going home for the weekend. I can't wait to take a shower to really be able to clean off. So we would just tell them like, it's not us, you know, you go somewhere else, you're gonna have the same problems. Yeah. So it's, it's not ideal. They've, they've, they've kept going, of course, but um, like every, other business and every other home in town, they've had to adjust, uh, you know, for months now. What's been the impact on Katie and Bobby's personal lives? They told me that, you know, they all live very close to each other. So they've seen each other deal with this for months. Right. Our garden, we had a garden planted, killed it right off the back. So, I mean, the salt water killed that, killed our porch plants, it killed, you know... From Katie's perspective, she has a two-year-old daughter. What's her name? Bentley. Oh, that's a pretty name. Thank you. And she's really worried about the impact that this uh, water issue is having on her daughter, or could have on her daughter. I was actually giving her bats and a tote with gallon water. She spent a long time bathing her daughter, she said, 
in essentially a plastic tub using bottled water just to make sure that it was safe. She didn't trust the water coming from the tub, and so she did that for, for a long time just, um, you know, as a precaution. So I was putting fresh water in a pot, boiling it to heat it up, putting gallon water, room temperature to, you know, kind of level it out and give her a bath and a tote. Because I couldn't fill up the tub. You know how many waters that would take to fill up a yeah. tub, you know? Right. So, yeah, I was literally giving her bats and a tote for a long time. Okay. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I I have a daughter about the same age, and I, I can't imagine having to do that just to give your child a bath. What did Katie and Bobby say to you uh, about how they felt about all this? Katie just, to me, seemed sort of worn out with all this. As you can imagine, you know, bathing your daughter in bottled water overnight is, is, is certainly um, an ordeal. And then her mother, Bobby, had told her, you know, if this keeps up, you should take your daughter and move farther away to relatives in another part of the state. We, we felt like my mom done told me, like, if it gets that bad again, I have family in Homa. That's where my dad's side of the family is. She was like, you and Bentley got to go. Okay. You know, because she's only two. So it, it is scary. At the same time, this is home. It's the only home they've ever known. Um, and I think they'd prefer to stay. A lot of people love it there. It's it's quiet, especially in comparison to New Orleans. Um, it's, it's lovely there along the water, and, and you're near the Gulf of Mexico. You know, but between the dramatic disasters, like a Hurricane Katrina and the sort of slow-moving disasters like the ones that they've dealt with in the last few months, I think it just has some people questioning whether it's worth it to stay over time, even if it is home. And if so, like, what's the breaking point and how much longer do you stay? And where do you go if you leave? Does it make you, like, reconsider staying here or is not that, like, still oh, no, home? because I'll fight them. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going nowhere. I mean, I'm not going to up and relocate my life, my job, my whole family. No. Right. Fix it. Bobby, meanwhile, is really just frustrated, you know, that this hasn't been fixed. That means I have to change my whole life, my whole way of living, and everything just because a government that is supposed to take care of the citizens and make sure we have proper running water and stuff to us just because they're not taking care of it right I should move it's not an option I mean I heard again and again people say that they felt forgotten in this part of the parish whether that's the reality or not that is certainly how a number of people feel is like they were overlooked because it's a down at the tip of Louisiana and not that big a population. And one thing that she said that stuck with me was, you know, I've lived here my entire life and when something has happened in the past, like say a bad hurricane, you leave and you come back and you kind of survey the damage and then you get to work cleaning up. And that's how we do here. I mean, we got wiped out for Katrina. We all came back. Right. You're no stranger to disaster. Right. A storm, it comes through, it's done and over, we clean up the mess, we rebuild, we move on. Right. This ain't something we can clean up and move on. This is, you know, almost like an everyday thing. This is something we can't fix. Right. 
And you can understand, right? Because you 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 just want to do something, right? You just want to help make a problem right. And in this part of Louisiana, for months now, people have had no ability to to fix it. After the break, we look at new efforts to fix the problem now. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. So, Brady, before the break, you told us about the saltwater wedge making its way up the Mississippi River and how that's made life harder for people who live in communities that draw their drinking water from the river. Is there anything that people, public officials in Plaquemines Parish are are doing or can do to try to address this problem? So I headed down to Louisiana the first week of October when there were really furious preparations going on um, in a lot of places, especially around New Orleans, to prepare for the possibility of this salt water reaching, you know, a major American city, a really populated place. Uh, you know, I talked to multiple public officials while I was down there, and one person I met who represents, you know, the far southern part of this of this parish is Mark Cognovich. I got a regular job. Oh, wow. What's the regular job? Boat captain on an all-spill recovery vessel. So he spends a lot of his life on the water, but he is also, uh, you know, very much involved in local politics. Well, being in the oil field, you know, you see a problem, you fix it. Yeah. So I thought I'd get into politics and... Fix you know, everything. We need, we need stuff fixed and they take forever, but it don't work like that. Yeah, I guess not. Would you just decide to what was sort of the reception? What was his experience of like trying to get people to pay attention to the problem? I think he would say that um, many other folks did not in power did not see it as the emergency that he did and did not, you know, move with urgency. I've been I've been telling them about it since the beginning of May and 
I told them. Who's them? The administration. Okay. And the water department kept asking, kept asking, and oh, we're working on it, we're working on it. Finally, we got under a state of emergency. Mm. And the next council meeting, I told them, I said, there's no urgency. I said, what if this would be a hurricane? You wouldn't be dealing with just one problem. Right. You'd have a hundred problems, and where would we be then? By the time I got down there, that, that had changed, and, and people were trying to actively solve this problem. But you know, by, by October, it had been numerous months that, that Mark and the people he represents have dealt with this problem. And I think, you know, like, like so many others there, he, he's frustrated by it. So, I mean, it's, it sounds like pretty recently the parish government has finally started really paying attention to this. But, I mean, what kind of solutions are they proposing or exploring? Plaquemines Parish was working, you know, in concert with, with state and federal folks to install multiple reverse osmosis systems at water plants in Plaquemines Parish. And these are basically a machine that uses high pressure to shoot water through this permeable, semi-permeable filter to basically filter out the salt and, and a lot of other contaminants. Those take time to hook up, and they were being hooked up the week I was there. At the same time, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers was barging massive amounts of water down the river to Plaquemines Parish. And that's basically when they go up the river where the salt isn't, and they get fresh water, and they bring it down to the water plants in Plaquemines Parish, and they, they pump that water in, and they mix the water with the saltier water to try to dilute it um, and make it safer. The Army Corps itself, it set about building an underwater levee that is essentially an underwater wall that's meant to slow down the salt water. And they had constructed this initially in July and realized that they needed to enlarge it um, in September and October. And that does slow down the salt water, but because they have to leave enough opening for ships to pass, it only slows down the salt water. It doesn't stop it. I also talked with some people closer to New Orleans, particularly in Jefferson and Orleans parishes. And the officials there looked at the salt water and understandably knew what a potentially massive disaster it would be if it, if it contaminated the water supplies for those two parishes. And in each place, one of the main plans that emerged was to build very quickly um, essentially emergency pipelines that could stretch 10 to 15 miles up the river and draw fresh water from where the salt water had not reached yet. Can you just say your name and title for me real quick? Cynthia Lee Shang, all three words, no hyphen. I met up one afternoon with um, Cynthia Shang, who is the president of Jefferson Parish, there on the banks of the Mississippi River. And she had been really worried about what would happen if salt water reached her parish. So did you ever think you'd be out here doing this? No, this was not on our, this was not on our radar. It really wasn't. Yeah. Like a lot of emergencies are on our radar and this just wasn't. Right. And, um, you know, she was just, uh, she was tired, <laughs> frankly, and she was relieved that, that this, um, that this fix, or at least a temporary fix, seemed to be underway and that they could stay ahead of the salt water. It, it was such a relief. And Saturday when I met the contractor with our team, I finally for the first day saw a lot of members of my public works team have a smile on their face. And so 
Kind of like when you're on a turbulent flight and you look at the face of a flight attendant and you see they're kind of, are they relaxed? Are they stressed? Like that's how I felt on Saturday. My team was finally smiling. And so I felt the sense of relief that we just, we think we have a solution to this. Now, even having said that, Mark keeps reminding me. And the, you know, the afternoon that I met with Cynthia, um, they had just gotten approval within hours earlier from the Army Corps to do this project. And they were beginning to unfurl the first links of that pipeline. But again, all this is some level of reaction and reactionary. And I think there was a growing sense among, frankly, everyone there that, that they need to figure out sort of longer-term solutions to this problem. Yeah, so I mean, what are those longer-term solutions or, you know, what's the long-term <laughs> prognosis here? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I think it's too early to say what the long-term solution is. Certainly the pipelines that were um, proposed in, on an emergency basis, maybe there's now time to figure out how to have something like that on a more permanent basis. Um, in Plaquemines, the parish president was very clear that after this immediate crisis passes, he believes that the parish should invest in permanent reverse osmosis systems for its water plants so that residents don't have to endure another summer and fall of, of salty water. These are preparations that are probably important, but it doesn't alone prevent the salt water from coming up the Mississippi. And I don't know that there's any simple or easy answer to that. And what's the outlook for New Orleans? I mean, thankfully, the outlook this year is quite good. Um, the last two updates um, from the Army Corps, which is very closely tracking the saltwater wedge, has shown that it um, it retreated some and it has basically stayed put. Um, so that is good news. It's certainly, at the very least, bought New Orleans and the areas around it more time to prepare for this. Um, in the best case scenario, that saltwater doesn't arrive there at all this this year. But again and again, I heard from scientists that, you know, the changes in the climate and, and the warming atmosphere really create the conditions that make it more likely to happen going forward. Long extended droughts, which we've now seen for two years in a row along the Mississippi, really brutal heat waves, which we certainly had this summer, are more likely are to be more frequent in the future. And so I think, um, People in and around New Orleans are beginning to recognize that and the need to prepare for this kind of situation in the future and to act as if it may happen every year, even if it doesn't. Thank you so much for being here, Brady, and for this reporting. Oh, thank you. Brady Dennis covers climate change and the environment for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Peter Bresnan. It was edited by Robin Amer, and it was mixed by Sean Carter. If you want to show your support for the show, please subscribe to The Washington Post. It's a great way to support the work we do. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm your guest host, Lillian Cunningham. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.